Messi! Hey now, what's up? Season 13, episode 13 of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. A good show for you today. Andy Green is on the podcast. Of course, he is a writer for Rolling Stone. He was on the podcast. One of the first episodes during the pandemic, he was promoting a book about The Office. We actually talk about it in the interview. Uh, but he returns today in a debut. Dan Robson on the show for the first time. From The Athletic, we're going to talk a little bit of hockey with him. He was at the uh, Connor Bedard draft, uh, did a story on Bedard for The Athletic. We cover a lot of ground. We also do a Canadian draft, a Canadian snake draft. We pick four Canadians each. When he comes out next time, we'll pick four more. Uh, could be something fun. I'm in one of those spots where I have four interviews recorded. I also have an interview recorded with Adam Lazarus, our friend who we'll talk more about in the book club. And I also have an interview recorded with... a another debut, Fred Mangione. Fred was the COO for the Brooklyn Nets, worked there for 17 years, also worked for the Jets. It's the first time we've really had like a high-level front office person for a sports team on the show. He actually opened the Barclays Center. He's got incredible stories. We just scratched the surface. Uh, so Adam and Fred will be on the next show. Those interviews are both kind of long. I maybe should have split them. Uh, but these two really need to go up, Andy and Dan. I, I, they've both been recorded. Andy was a few weeks ago, and, and Drew was close to that as well now. Drew, why do I keep calling him Drew? <sighs> Dan was a few weeks ago. Boy, I'm off to a great start. I just absolutely stink. Man. 12 years I've been doing this, and I just stink. Unbelievable. You think by now I'd have half a clue. Anyway, Andy Green and Dan Robeson are on the show today. We'll get to them in a minute. First things first, I want to say get well and speed recovery to the OG of Sportscasters guests, Jeff Passan. It's long been known and stated on this show that Jeff agreed to be on it before it even existed. Um, I actually booked Jeff Passan's first appearance on this show. In 2011, before the show existed. And then it was quickly created, so there would be somewhere for my Jeff Passan interview uh, to live. Uh, and he's been on several times since, and he's been a friend off the show, and he's a great dude, and he had an accident at his house in Kansas City. A tree fell on him, and he hurt his back, and I'm really worried about him uh, because I do that. But I just want him to get better, and he was just about to come on uh, he'll be on when he's healthy and, and able and all that when the time comes. But uh, I just praying for Jeff. Hope he gets better soon. And um, if you get a chance to send him some well wishes, maybe on Twitter, uh, you could do that. Uh, the Braves, 64 and 34. And I've never been as nervous about a team that's 64 and 34. 
the bullpen is good, but it's injured. And also, the starters are inconsistent. And when the starters have a bad stretch and the bullpen gets taxed or the good pitchers in the bullpen, which is now really thin because of injuries, although A.J. Minter is coming back this week, they struggle. And, you know, they blew a game that they should have won in Milwaukee this weekend. Although they won that series 2-1 to one on the road. They've been really great in rubber matches. They're like 9-1 and one in one-to-one one one series in the, in the third game. So that's been big for them. But Max Fried is close. It seems like he's going to do one more rehab start, and then he'll be back on the team. And that's really important. The trade deadline is coming. And what do the Braves do? Could they add a, add a starter? Probably not, because I think the market for that is going to be just so difficult. seems like every team needs a starter. And probably most of them, like let's say Cincinnati, for example, they might need two and might need them a lot more than us. Might have more to give up. So I don't know if they'll get a starter. They they added some bullpen depth today with a trade. I think I would expect them to add more. And maybe they could add a left fielder or an outfielder or two. Or they could stand pat. I mean, they're 64 and 34. They have Max Fried coming back. They could get Kyle Wright back, although I'm not convinced Kyle Wright comes back, right? Like, I want to see Kyle Wright on the field pitching before I believe he's coming back. We'll see. Uh, but let's say they get both of those guys back. A.J. Minter comes back this week. You know, guys are coming back. They just called up a 26-year-old rookie from Cuba who's been nasty in the minor leagues this year and was nasty in Milwaukee the other day in his debut. So 64 and 34, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous about a team that's 30 games over 500. Yeah. Uh, the Saints reported to training camp today, and tomorrow they start practice. And believe it or not, Michael Thomas is scheduled to be on the field when practice starts. Look, at, I'm probably going to buy into this Mike Thomas thing again at some point during the offseason here. Uh, but I know that pain is coming, right? He's going to get injured. They're going to say it doesn't require IR. Then they're going to say he's getting close. And they're going to say he's getting close. And they're going to say that for eight weeks. And then he's going to be done for the year. I've seen this story before. Uh, but the whole league starts training camp this week or so. Uh, football is here pretty much. There's going to be games soon. The Hall of Fame game is really soon. And in August, we will do our extensive football review as we always do. You know, we'll have... Aaron Schatz from formerly of Football Outsiders will join us. You know, we'll have fantasy experts like I'm sure Michael Fabiano will join us. We'll have, you know, regular reporters. I'll try to get Joe, whatever. We'll do all kind. Stuart Mandel will be in to talk college football. So some of the regular interviews we do every August and hopefully some others as well will be mixed in. That's just a few episodes away. My guess is we'll probably run this one. Then we'll run the one with uh, Mangione and Lazarus, and then it'll be the football previews. You know, we'll mix in some baseball. Uh, Tia Glassman will be on sometime in August to talk about her book club book. Uh, so we'll do those things too, but it'll be football heavy um, August into September. Uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, one more thing before we get going. I watched a, a documentary about Yogi Berra called It Ain't Over. His granddaughter, I know, is heavily involved and, and made the documentary. And it's one of the best sports documentaries I've ever seen. Uh, Yogi Berra is an incredibly interesting human being. A much better baseball player than you think he was because people get bogged down by kind of the quotes and the cartoonist nature of his life after baseball. 
But this is a guy who won 10 World Series, three more as a coach, 13 total, you know, three MVPs. I mean, Jesus, one of the best players of all time and a fascinating story about his life, Italian-American guy. Um, I highly recommend that. So I wanted to mention that too. All right, get better, Jeff Passan. We're going to take a break. We will be right back with Andy Green from the Rolling Stone magazine. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. Hey, Andy, what's up, man? Dude, Thomas, how you doing, man? How you doing? Welcome back. Uh, why, thanks so much. I'm uh, very happy to be back. We talked last in like one of the weirdest times in American history. <laughs> I think we were pretty much... We were right in it, right? The pandemic. I mean, pretty much. When when did um when did the the office book come out? Uh, it was in mid March yeah. of twenty twenty. That's what very I thought. Weird time to put the <laughs> yeah. book out. Yes. That's what I thought. I remember it was you. Uh, John Feinstein had a book that he had time to March Madness, which of course oh, didn't happen. Right. I remember yeah. it was you, him, and I think there was one other book. Uh, yeah. And. Um, what a weird time to put a book out. Did it survive it? Like, did were, were you? It it was number five in the Times Best Other list. Yeah, I think I I couldn't really I couldn't go out and do events. I did a ton of interviews, and people sure stayed home and watched The Office during True. COVID. So it's still yeah. sold. Yeah, yeah, probably maybe it worked for a book like The Office because, like you said, there's new fans maybe who binged it, uh, old fans maybe who watched it again. I know The Sopranos had a huge. Um, huge uptick i was talking to uh brett martin who wrote the book mm-hmm. difficult men i think he writes for gq or something like yeah. that around that time and he was saying that he noticed an uptick in his soprano stuff because people were were watching it again um yeah for sure during for sure. that time so it might have worked for you now someone like feinstein i think was crushed you know oh, yeah, the whole point the, Madness, yeah, the whole point was to do that book and promote it along with the tournament and probably you know sell copies at the the final four be there whatever and um Oh, that's brutal. You know, everything's wiped out there. But I guess the good news for him is he puts out a book like every eight months. So I guess he probably wasn't, right. wasn't down for long. Um, I've been – it seems like your name has just been everywhere lately. I was like, I got to reach out to Andy. And it kind of started with the Motley Crue thing. I was watching mm-hmm. um, – that metal show is back, but it's on YouTube, and it's called That Rocks, I think. And uh, okay. it's the same three guys, uh, Eddie Trunk, Jim Florentine, and uh, – Don Jameson. And uh, they were talking about, they're like, yeah, Andy Green from Rolling Stone who wrote, you know, he, he sat with Mick Myers and they were talking about the whole thing. Uh, oh. Yeah. What, um, was it hard to get Mick to open up like that? I mean, I know he may have had a comment or two initially, but I was surprised how guns a blazing he was when I sat down and, and read the article. And I mean, 
obviously we could probably make a list of top five American rock bands and, and put the word dysfunction next to it, and they're going to come in the top five no matter what. But I don't know. Were you a little bit, bit surprised that, I don't know, I think a guns blazing was how I described it first. That seems goofy, but I don't know. What yeah, were your impressions I, of Mick and talking to him? I mean, I had read the lawsuits, so I knew how toxic things were and how angry he was. Uh, but I guess I wasn't prepared quite for the level of vitriol because he'd been the quiet guy in the band right. for over 40 years. Yeah. That's a long time to be quiet. Right. Yeah, but I guess that he was holding on to 41 years of resentment and rage, just all coming out now. It's all boiling over. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was definitely taken aback by the degree of his anger. Yeah, I mean, he never wants to speak to Motley Crue ever again. <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> it's just well, wild. it's it's because there's some bands that grow up together and are kids together. I think of yep. a group like U2 or something, so they can get through all their shit and fall back on a real friendship. With Motley Crue, it was just four mercenaries. It was these four mercenaries that came together and started a band that didn't really know each other. And there's a huge age gap here also. So 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 there's no real roots to this tree, you know, so it can fall over in a, in, in a, in a decent windstorm, you know. It did seem like they were kind of through the wars together, though. You know what I mean? Like the way, um, you know, in the 80s, they all had their issues with drugs and, you know, um, Vince Neil had his, his accident and then, um, you know, they... They broke up, uh, had got Karabi in the band and back together. Then they're kind of like trying to do a grunge record, Generation Swine in the middle of grunge, and it's not the same and kind of hanging on. Then they rebuild it. They're doing stadiums again, you know, just like the first, uh, the the contracts and what Mick got in trouble because he said on that, that metal show again, he said if they ever play again, he'd buy everyone a ticket, right? And then they played right. again. And I think he had to actually come out and say like, oh, I was kidding about that or something because everyone's waiting for the ticket. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It feels like they've been through the wars together, and now all of a sudden, it's like the knives got turned in. Yeah, but 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 there's some precedents here. I mean, and if you look back to when Vince Neil left the band, it got pretty ugly. It did yeah. In the press, there were lawsuits. They were just trashing each other. Uh, when Tommy Lee left in the late '90s, it was much more peaceful. But that, there's definitely her feelings there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what's happening is he's coming after them so hard. He's really saying that their show now is totally fake, you know, so he's really trying to hurt them badly and they are pissed about it. I, I had Nikki on the phone and he was quite angry too. Well, all right, let's talk about that for a second because one thing I've said about my, okay, I'm a guy who I'd rather not go listen to tracks, you know, I know there's some sure. things that. You know, like if you have one song with a six-second cello part, I don't expect you to hire someone who plays the cello and drag them all right. around the country. I, you know, I'm not saying that. But for the most part, you know, I want to hear you sing and play. I don't know. Uh, that's that's always been what rock and roll is to me. You know, I'm a rock and roll guy through and through. Um, I went to Britney Spears on my honeymoon. I didn't understand it for one mm. second. I didn't understand why everyone was there to watch her dance. I thought she was music. You know, she. I don't think she sang one note the whole night. Um, right. But the thing I'll say about Molly Crew is at least they've always, I thought, been honest about it. Like, I thought they've always been telling us this, that they use tracks, that they do that, that that's what makes the show as good as it was on the, you know, on the stadium tour when everyone thought they'd be horrible based on the videos you saw of Vince Neil going into it and other factors. So right. now, he, now Mick is seemingly saying they're playing the tracks, which I thought they were telling us. 
and now you're saying Mick is really or uh, Nikki's really mad because Mick is saying that. So w- what is it? I'm confused now. Well, I think what's happened for a while is that Mick never wanted to play the tracks. Right, he wanted so to play. So, right, he just wanted right, to play. Those so, so many things in Motley Crue he, 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 that he wasn't calling the shots. It was Nikki calling the shots and, and Tommy to some degree. Uh, and he's, he's been helpless. He's felt like a phony for a while. On the farewell tour in 2014, he complained to press that he felt like Britney Spears playing on stage. And I, the band then, I, I think, I think that they were pretty pissed with him for saying that. Uh, but this tour, he's gone a step further in saying that Nikki didn't play any live bass at all. <laughs> You know, which is a big, that's a, it's right. a big difference between some tracks to fill in the gaps and just completely miming to a recording. Uh, so that's a, a very different thing to have some tracks to have, to have just tracks. I wonder what the truth is, though. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, but yeah, if I, I had mean, to believe I, one, I'd believe Mick, though, because they've always been yeah. telling me they played the track. So I don't know. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Nikki didn't play any live bass at all. And Nick didn't provide a lot of proof to me beyond some fan shot videos where he where he where he sees Nikki's hands up off the bass and it's still playing, but he knows what's happening there. Right. Uh I don't know the truth, but I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle. In probably. the middle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's true too. You know, I have a buddy who's a huge fan that there is number one. You know, he's been been to mm-hmm. fifty four shows. And I don't wow. think he cares about any of this. You know, I think to him, as long as the party is there, he'll be at the party. Yeah, you know, I, think I don't think true. this has affected him at all. I think that's true for lots of people that see rock shows, which is often forgotten by those of us who follow it carefully. I know people who see Journey and don't even realize that it's a different singer. You know, that with that right. side, Guns N' Roses back in the day, didn't see Slash, didn't even care barely knew if if they can drink their beer and say and watch the hits get played and have fun with their friends they're very very happy yeah, and that's most people that go to a show yeah i mean we're getting to a point i think fair, uh foreigner plays shows with no one right because zero I, original members right yeah. zero unless it's a, a night when sometimes mick jones plays or maybe he's in, even On past that part yeah, okay, one song. So basically nothing. I think Kiss has said that they plan to do that, right? When they're done, there will be some kind of official Kiss band. They just won't be in it. I think they've said that. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think this is going to become more and more accepted as we go, right? I I mean, I, I wonder, was there anyone at the Foreigner show that was like, oh, man, those guys aren't the guys. I, mean, I guess it probably with some people, I but a small percent. Yeah. I think for I think that for groups like Foreigner, they really benefit from the fact that most people do not know the names Lou Graham right. or right. Mick Jones. And and those are people who who go see Foreigner. That those people are so unfamous that 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 it works. I think for a group like Kiss, if there's no Gene Simmons, no Paul Stanley, and no Peter and Ace, I think they're in small casinos and small clubs, even if they call it Kiss. Right. You know. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think they'll try it, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they'll roll sure the they'll dice. they'll try it. They're going to see yeah. what they can do. It's wild for me because, and you know, I- I'm definitely, like I said, on the side of, I just want to go see these guys play live. You know, I went and seen um, Jerry Cantrell play a solo show, and mm-hmm. uh, he had a-, a fake lane with him. And I don't mean to reduce the guy to that because, I mean, he was very good. You know, he sang very good, but he was clearly 
trying to be as close to Lane Staley as he could be, right? Um, sure. But that's way better than a tape of Lane Staley. You know, we don't have Lane anymore. He's not with us anymore. Um, and the show was great. And everyone had fun and everyone sang. And, I mean, Allison Change is unique in the way that a lot of their songs and even some of their bigger hits, Jerry sings a lot of them anyway. Um, yeah. So it lends itself to that. You know, I, I mentioned my buddy, his number one, you know, is Motley Crue and he doesn't care. You know, my, my number one is Pearl Jam. I've been to 86 shows. You know, they've literally been the soundtrack of my life, you know, all that kind of thing. And I would be devastated. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I would just. Well, yeah, I think that trying to imagine a Pearl Jam that didn't have Eddie Vedder is <laughs> right. just ludicrous beyond words. There's certain groups where, like, it cannot work, it will not work, and they'll never even think about trying. Yeah, or they won't play the tracks either. Like, in 2003, they said we need some keys. They added boom. You know, on, yeah. the, on the last tour, they said some of this stuff from Gigaton, we we're going to need another hand. They had Joff Kling, whatever his name is, from the Chili Peppers. Um, right. He's, he hasn't won me over yet, but I'm, I'm trying to accept Josh. Mm. I just don't want him yeah. singing. Stay over there in the back with the Macarenas and, um, yeah. and whatever else he's doing at the show. I don't need to hear him sing Prince. Uh, but, yeah. um, but they, you know, so it's just such an insane idea to me, you know, that they would ever even consider that. But. Again, like Motley Crue is about a party, you know, Pearl Jam, yeah. Pearl Jam is about, you know, in 1996, in the height of their stardom, I went to the show and they had one candle on the stage pretty much and they showed up and they just played the songs and that's always what they've been, right? They've just been about, yeah. you know, being the guys that just came out and played the songs and whatever songs they want, by the way, you know, you know, yeah. I, I always hear, you know, some shows like, hey, we'd love to change the set list, but everything is so coordinated and things like that, that we can't change it up the cues would be wrong all that they're not that you know so so it would just be so shocking to me but i don't know you think as we go on here this is going to be is it going to be more like motley crew or more like pro yeah, jam or what do you think it's the future be the, yeah as bands age they their need to make money doesn't change mm. and they're and they're used to a certain lifestyle and it's one thing to be 20 and broke, but to be 60 and broke and be formally rich and famous, it's really hard. So any approximation of the old show that they can cobble together is going to probably happen. I think a good example is, is what Queen do now, that when Freddie Mercury died, they spent years trying to figure out a possible way to carry on in some way as Queen. It was right. really Paul hard. Rogers. Pretty, Paul Rogers didn't yeah. work. They tried it, but it right. didn't and, work, yeah. And Brian May Solo, he, he toured for a while, he was singing the songs. And Freddie Mercury is as iconic as Eddie Vedder, you know, and as yeah, much absolutely. a focal point of yeah. the group. But after a long time, they found a way. They, they found Adam Lambert, and they can approximate the Queen experience, and they're playing to huge, huge audiences now. Uh, that's kind of the exception, but that sure. can happen. In most cases... It's like blood, sweat, and tears, and they're playing to a small casino crowd with all new people. You know that's right. more common, right? Right. But if you if you own the logo, if you could put the logo on, if you could put the name on, you could definitely get booked at least. Where it goes from there, we'll yeah. See. That yeah, the name is everything. Right. If it's if if it's just called Journey, it plays the garden. If it's right. if it's like Neil Sean celebrates Journey, not gonna work. It's at yeah. it's at it's at Irving Plaza. Yeah, yeah. Queensrÿche can play a three thousand seat theater here. Jeff Tate, even though I'd rather see Jeff Tate, he's 500 because he doesn't have the name, right? Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, 
Let me add, you mentioned about making money, and let me ask you about this because, and I'm, I'm not talking about Pearl Jam or Metallica or Taylor Swift, who's made a billion dollars or something, somewhere, yeah, probably this summer. But in general, are bands making money? Because I hearing that it's just a nightmare. Yeah, that, it's the, really, the bus prices and the things you wouldn't it's a think of. Now yeah, it is that it? the insurance premiums post COVID are through the roof, and they have to pay that. Right. Uh, that gas and, yeah, and hotel buses. fees, yeah. buses, the the union fees, having the crew out, uh, the per diems. You go across the board; it's brutal. Uh, and so that so if you aren't the top tier group, it can be hard to tour and make money. That I spoke to lead singer of OK Go, and he's like, you need to be able to hit 5,000 people in every town you play, and not just Boston and New York, but everywhere. Right. And, and there aren't any bands who can go to Cleveland and, and pack a place that big. And if you can't, it just destroys your profits. So it's just brutal out there. So you, you wrote about the Orb in, um, in Vegas that they're building. Mm-hmm. It's a sphere, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, is that... Is not the not the spear itself, but is the idea of going to the band going to replace the idea of the band coming to you? Is that sustainable? Well, I think Vegas is a distinct thing because there's such an, there's a guy, they have a huge influx of people that are there every weekend right. with their pockets full of cash yeah. that are willing to spend it, looking for a so, show. Yeah, looking for a yeah, show. So yeah, so for even so for even Adele who's one of the biggest stars in the world, who could tour the world, it's more profitable to just have her fans go to Vegas. She, she doesn't have to pay. It's, it's, it's no truck drivers. It's no gas. It's, it's just none of that stuff. And that works. And for Billy Joel here at the Garden also. Mm-hmm. But those are super, superstars. Uh, and Vegas is Vegas, you know. So it's going to be hard to have other kinds of residencies in other cities that could possibly work. Yeah, I was trying to think of a band, but every band that I was thinking in my mind that could work, they're probably too big for my argument. You know what I mean? Like, well, I was like, well, what about guess, Green Day? Could they set up in Northern California? But they're Green Day. That's already too big. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah, trying to think of a band that could would, just stay it, home and have people come I to mean, them. If Springsteen and the Street Band did 85 nights at the arena in New Jersey, and that was the tour, it would sell out all. Of, it, right. it would sell out, and, and but, it has to travel from everywhere. Yeah, Bruce could do it. <laughs> Yes, for yes. Sure. Um, you know the, uh, you know I'm a Pearl Jam guy, and Pearl Jam warned everyone right in the '90s about what would happen, and nobody wanted to to join them. Not even Neil Young, you know, would join them really. On the fight back then, and even Congress sort of laughed them out of the room. Was more interested in like getting, you know, autographs for their nieces and stuff. There's, I think, a good, yeah. a good cut in Pearl Jam 20, the Cameron Crowe film, where he kind of shows kind of the the silliness. And, and by the way, like they were invited there. You know what I mean? They didn't. Sure. Um, But that, you know, that's overlooked too as as well. But now we're in a spot where I think the cure, they wanted to sell $30 tickets and almost in every market that first day, the fees are more than the tickets. And I know, and I know they worked hard to get some rebates on some of those, but it's just an example of what what we're against in general. Now the Ticketmaster and live nation, these places have become so powerful that even if the bands need to charge a lot, I, I, I don't know how, we talked about the the bands making money. How are are we going to afford to even see the bands to help it, them make money? It's insanity that, that, that just the fact that the DOJ approved the merger of Live Nation and Ticketmaster 
Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. To, it's pretty it's crazy nuts. to most people. Yep. It's sort of, you know, if you talk to a lot of experts, it's the definition of a top-down monopoly. If they own the venues and the, and the ticketing platform and they manage a lot of, you know, of the artists and they promote the tours and they, and they do the resells of the tickets also, uh, I don't see how that's not a monopoly. At least it sure seems like it. And the, sure consequences, are, and the consequences are apparent to everybody who, who buys tickets. They're a fortune. The service fees are insane. Airplane pricing. Uh, yeah, with yeah. the dynamic bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rough. It is rough out there to be a music fan in 2023 all of a sudden um, when we lay out all these factors, you know, but people are still going to have a passion for music. And certainly, you know, I don't know. I know it was expensive, Taylor Swift, but she probably could have charged double, I think, and still been all right. You know, like, you know. And with no question, yeah. Yeah. That- I think post-COVID, there's a real desire to go out and have real experiences. That You can't download a concert. You have to go out and see it. Sure. Uh, and that's somewhat of a rarity. You can stay, with you, you can stay home these days and do most anything. Yep. But you can't go to a concert. And so for the superstars, that there's no limit to the money that, that the fans will spend. But, but it's sort of a 1% thing that the other 99% are really struggling. I was thinking about, oh, yeah, in concerts, we kind of learned we don't like at home, right? Like, during COVID, everyone was playing these, like, acoustic things that were, like... That was terrible. It was cool the first week, and then it was like, no, no more. I don't want to see another acoustic version of, you know, Master of Puppets. No more, you know. Yeah, it's so impersonal. This sucks. Yeah, this sucks. And for me, a great concert is a unique thing that can't be replicated. It's a once. It's a, it, that it, it happens once and it's gone. Right. Which is which is why I get which is why which is why I get bummed out about about tracks being used because I feel as I'm seeing something that's very cookie cutter. That the next night in Detroit, it's the same exact thing verbatim, and that's a bummer. I want fans to play live. I I I think most fans agree. Yeah, and that's that's when people ask me why have you gone to 86 Pearl Jam concerts? That's the answer, right? Because they've been 86 yeah. different nights. They've been 86 different experiences. They've never been the same. Even when they're in the same city three nights in a row, like Jones Beach in 2000. Those are three very different shows. But um, So that's the answer right there. I was thinking about yeah. new bands I like. And I was thinking about a band called Dirty Honey um, mm-hmm. who has gone it alone and uh, decided not to sign and kind of build great. up on their own. And, I was, and, and then there's this other band from Nashville that I got turned on to called... Um, Oh, let me get it right. Lost Hearts, I think, is the name of the band. And mm-hmm. it seems like they're going to go down the same path. And they have really good songs, really catchy choruses. I don't know. They, I think they have three songs out now. They're, they're, they're putting a song out like once every few weeks. I guess yeah. They, I, yeah. They're, they're really cool. I, I guess the question is, do you see more people taking this road, the D- DIY approach to music? Is that maybe yeah. the answer for artists? Yeah. I think that record labels, that they don't offer bands much. And people say rock is dead, which I, I hate hearing yeah, that. No there's way. so many great, there's no so many great young rock bands. Yep. But what's happened is that the ladder that bands used to be able to climb has been torn down. You used to, you, you, you used to be able to, to start in clubs, sign to a label, then tour like crazy, then maybe get on MTV and get on rock radio and, yeah. and become superstars. And back in the 90s, we saw like 30, 40 bands become huge by doing that. And the past 20 years, we've seen like four or something. 
yeah. because that because the ability of the labels to make rock bands big is just gone. That with MTV dead, with rock radio as far as new songs dead, uh, with the labels bankrupt, there's no real way for bands to break out. So there are great bands, but but they're in the clubs and small theaters, and they're barely able to make money, and it's a bummer because there's a lot of great stuff that's not being heard by the masses. Yeah, and they're on social media. They're begging for an audience, and I and I feel yeah. like you know when I when I watch someone like Wolfie, who's so talented, you know what yeah. I mean? He's so incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, this guy could be the guy, but how do we get him to everyone? You know what I mean? How? I, I was looking at I do this Hulk Hogan uh, podcast we we do it on side and it's really about nostalgia and fun and we read the news from the month that whenever Hulk's match that we're talking about was and we were talking okay. about the '89 MTV Music Awards uh-huh. and '92 is always the one I think in my head is like the the best show I mean you had an unbelievable night right that's Howard Stern and Fartman that's Pearl Jam and Jeremy Nirvana played U2 played. Uh, I think yeah, that they was. had Michael Jackson live from somewhere. I mean, the, the, was that guy? Was it supposed that Guns N' Roses with Elton John? Guns N' Roses with Elton John that night. I mean, that's yeah. if you look yeah. at that '92. But we were looking at '89, and the thing that struck me about it is there was like seven different types of music on there, and yeah. each of the bands was or, or bands or artists were huge. Whether it was like you know, in Vogue or it was uh, Metallica, I don't know, like whatever range you can think of. There was rap, there was rock, there was art. And I feel yeah. like popular music has lost that a little bit. You know, it's it's, yeah, it's sort it of was. narrowed to one genre almost. And I know I don't really yeah. listen to that genre, so they lost me. I, I don't know how you get that back, but that's rough. It's tough. I think my teenage years, back in, you know, in the mid-90s, I would, I would come home from school, I would turn on MTV, and I'd see the video for Jeremy 6,000 times yep. in the course of like six months. <laughs> yep. You know? Yep. And, I, and like I was one of tens of millions of kids my age. And I was a fan for life, and so was everybody. I would see, I would see Andrew Sandman. I would see, because I would see Nirvana. I'd go on and on. And they were just, she was such, it was just repetition. Yep. And I would turn I would turn on the radio and I would do that same stuff. The kids these days, they don't have that. And, and even because of that reputation, reputation, like I knew End yeah. of the Road by Boys to Men. Yeah, whatever, of course. Whatever the equivalent of that is now, I don't know it. But then I did because it was all kind of mixed together and presented together in a way. And I would, I would listen to End of the Road and think, wow, those guys are amazing singers. Maybe not my number one thing, but that's good. I like that, you know, and then. Sure. It just seems like that's been lost. I I went to a, a performing arts high school in Buffalo, a diverse oh, wow. school in the city. You know, I always tell people as a joke, I was a dance major. I was actually radio and TV, but um, yeah. uh, the uh, it was an incredible place where, you know, it was a, a, a real melting pot, I guess, if, the, if for no better way to say it. But, you know, I was known as one of the rock guys there. People knew the bands, the the shirts that I would wear, and I knew what they liked, and I knew who they liked, and what they were, and we could tease each other. We could talk about the hits. We, I don't know. It's just a different time, and I don't want to. We're getting maybe to this area where we're we're the old man on the porch, me and you talking about how great high school sure. was in 1994. And I get that, I do, <laughs> but I just do think there's some value in, I guess the um, the variety that we were presented then versus yeah now. Yeah, and there's variety if you look for it. That Spotify is just everything ever. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet of, of everything. Right. 
but you have to know what to look for. It's not really curated. And so people just kind of get trapped in, in their own bubbles, they are their own fan groups. If you like K-pop, you, you're, you're all in on K-pop, and your Twitter's all K-pop, and your Instagram's all K-pop, and that's great. Uh, but it's 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 very easy. To, it's very easy to get stuck in that and not broaden out because you're just because you're just because because there's no force out there that is exposing you to it. The sportscasters are here with Andy Green, senior writer at Rolling Stone. He joined us during the pandemic. We talked about his awesome um, book about the office, oral history style, good fun. You working on anything like that? You doing another book anytime soon, or you back into I've, your groove magazine I've, writing? I've been thinking a, a I've been thinking a lot about my next book, but my job is pretty demanding, and doing the book at the, at the same time as a job was pretty awful. So I'm right. waiting for <laughs> just the right idea before right. a hot, you know, before you're yeah. ready to ruin your life for nine months or yes. twelve months or whatever, two years. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple more, and I'll let you go because your job is demanding. And you have other Fine. things to do besides talk to me all day. We talked about off the top of my head some things that I think are trends in music the way things are going we talked about tracks tickets expensive touring if we do this in three years or five years what do you think is something i missed today that's going to maybe dominate that conversation like do you see something down the road that maybe i don't know about yet or maybe i've overlooked that's going to kind of maybe dominate that conversation we have in a couple years uh i think if the sphere is successful which i think it will be that they're going to build them all over the country and the planet and purpose-built venues for music of that scope are going to be a, a big game changer because so many shows you see are at places built for sports. Mm-hmm. And once there's arenas built for music, it's going to really change the entire concert experience, I think. That sounds great. I like that. I just wonder if I'll yeah. ever be able to afford a ticket to it. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, they need to find a way to not have it be a freaking fortune. You know, it's just so ridiculous. Because yeah. that that one they're building in Vegas, as you say, is a couple billion. It cost them to build it, right? It was two billion dollars, but they won't just have concerts there. It's going to be they're going to do movies that are filmed just for the sphere, uh, and all sorts of other events like that. Well, I know if they start popping up all over the country, you know, like stadiums. To build the one in LA was cheap, you know, more expensive than the the one they're going to build in Buffalo for the Bills. Mm-hmm. So that you know, so I'm sure they wouldn't build a two billion dollar one here, but still, like, yeah. I just worry about a concert venue that's overhead before they even open the doors. Two billion, like, I can only imagine it's, what they're going to charge. We, it, it'll be tough to make that back. And the first estimate of the cost of that it was just one billion. So it, it, so they were billion over budget supposedly. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah. Probably those lumber prices got him. Remember when lumber was real expensive? Oh, right. It was yeah. nuts. Yeah. yeah, those lumber it was, prices. It was bad timing to come build this thing, yeah. <laughs> it was bad timing. What what shows are you going to this summer? What are you going to see? Uh, I'm flying to L.A. in a couple of days. I'm going to see. I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Neil Young on oh, his nice. Rarities tour. Okay, nice. awesome. It's yeah. a set list of largely stuff that he hasn't played live ever or in a very long time. I'm seeing Weezer in a couple of weeks. I'm going to see Elvis Costello again. I would love seeing him. I'm going to go to Vegas to see the opening night of the Spear. Uh, Springsteen's back in the States in August and September. I'm going to see him a bunch of times. I, I, I would love to see Pearl Jam, but the dates are really it's sort of far away and not great tour, timing. But I'm going to try to see one sucks. of those. This tour sucks. I'm going to go to... Um... Minnesota because it's over my birthday so it was an easy sell like you know 
hey, yeah. I just want to go see two shows on my birthday. But man, when I when me and my friend were talking about this, like when we would plan tours, like we would look, we would say like, where can we go to like five and eight days? And we would always yeah. find a run, right? Like this is like nine shows over twenty five days or something. Like it's really. It's really yeah, I difficult. Think that, 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 the thing to remember is that Eddie Vedder is pushing 60. He's much older than like dead Jerry Garcia, you know, who's right. like 53. Yeah. You know, yeah. that he looks so great and sounds so great, but they're getting up there. Yeah. And, and, you know? and I mean, the, it's more than Metallica. I mean, Metallica is basically doing two shows a month, right? So, I mean, it's better than that, I guess. I mean, they announced yeah. the tour and, and it was spread out over two years. I guess I can't complain, you know, about. 25 days i was just i was just gonna ask you if uh neil young played any um any mirabelle songs and i looked real quick and it looks like song x is on here yeah and throw your hatred down and throw your hatred down okay and i'm the ocean so he's doing three of them oh nice crazy my favorite is act of love oh do i love act of love and the, the times that pearl jam have played act of love without neil although i love neil to be there but the times they played it without him are, are great too because Ed kills that, you know, I mean, Neil Young vocal, he's pretty good at. Um, interesting to hear just what you're going to pay for and what you're willing to see. Uh, you know, I mean, if you're paying for it or not, it doesn't matter. But you know what I mean? Interesting to what you're sure. investing your time uh, yeah. in. I have those Pearl Jam shows. My biggest problem has been my number two through four have all had members die in the last five years. So my number two is usually the Tragically Hip. And, of course, um, uh, sadly, yeah. Gore Downey has passed away. Uh, yeah. Of brain cancer. Uh, my number three has traditionally been Rush, and we have lost Neil Peart. And my mm-hmm. number four, of course, was Van Halen, and we have lost Eddie Van Halen. So I am in the yeah. the regroup phase. Not to mention that, I mean, we you know I grew up when you did, and who's Eddie Vedder's left? Who else is left of the you know? Not many. Green Day, Weezer, who else? Yeah. You know, everyone has died as well. Chris Cornell is no longer with us. Yeah. You know, Kurt Cobain is no longer with us. Scott Weiland. Yeah. You know. We are in the waning days of a lot of this stuff, and it shows now I really try and stay in the moment and appreciate that the thing I'm seeing. I think of I was I was a huge Tom Petty fan and just gone in the blink of an eye one day. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm working hard to just live in the moment and enjoy these shows and realize that this won't be forever. Good advice. Good advice. And I think, you know, even a Pearl Jam snob like me who's been to 86 shows, like, that's one thing I would tell myself. Like, when you're there in August, September, you know, one's in August, one's in September, just whatever they play, it doesn't matter. However many they play, it doesn't matter. Just be grateful to be there, you know, because I've, cer- I've certainly seen way more shows already than I'm going to see ahead. You know what I mean? Like the yeah, the number of shows left, and this is one of the main things I've dedicated my life to. People who know me, they know I love Pearl Jam and love the New Orleans Saints. Those are like the two biggest things people know about me. And it's mm. it's close to over in terms of live music. I mean, I know it is. So the the key, I guess, like you said, is to enjoy it. Um, Andy yeah, Green, sure. again, is um, Rolling Stone. You can find him there. The Office Book, I'm sure he'd still love you to read it. It's great. I enjoyed it. It was a good treat during the pandemic when I read it. Thank you. Um, and uh, Twitter, are you there? Uh, if the rate limit has not been exceeded, can they find you on Twitter? I have a Twitter account. I haven't tweeted in about three years. What's so. the best way to keep track of what Andy Green is doing? Just RollingStone.com? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, I guess, it's just my author page on okay. Rolling Stone. It's where, to find out, it's where you can find all of my stuff. And do you have any questions for me? Uh, your favorite song on No Code? Uh, probably Present Tense, I think. Yeah, that's great. 
tough not to say present tense. I thought you were going to say favorite song, and I was going to say sad. Um, no, I, I'm just obsessed with No Code, so I'm always curious to. I that one. definitely love No Code. Um, I also, as a, as a young father, well, my daughter's seven now, so I'm not that young of a father anymore. Uh-huh. But one of my favorite things to do the first year was to hold her in her room and listen to Around the Bend and uh, uh, just rock her to sleep at night. And, uh, you know, that sweet little lullaby that uh, Ed wrote, I believe, for Jack Irons, new kid at the time mm-hmm. when it was written. So I like Around the Bend, too. I only heard it one time at Ben Arroyo, um, but I have heard it. And uh-huh. um, But, yeah, I think the answer to that has to be present tense. Uh, with yeah, a with a true. with a chance to say hell hell or um, in my tree on another day, but probably those oh, yeah. those three. Um, yeah. All right, I think we're done. I appreciate you. Thanks okay. so much. Apologies for the uh, technology in the beginning there, but love to have no you. Problem. Hopefully, we can do it again another time, and we'll talk music sure, again. I, I loved that. it. Thanks, buddy. Great. Great. Okay. Why? Well, thank you. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Alright, that was awesome. I want to thank Andy Green for being on the show tonight. Always fun to talk rock and roll. We'll do more soon. All right, real quick, book club update. First, two new, two old ones, one new one. The Wingmen, the unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams by our good friend Adam Lazarus. Adam will be on the show next week. We'll talk Wingmen, we'll promote Wingmen, but it won't be the usual post-book club deep dive. We'll save that for September when the book is out. It goes on sale August 22nd, 2023. You can purchase it wherever books are sold. Uh, for more information, Adam Lazarus, U.S. Let me make sure that's right. I don't want to screw over Adam here. I think it's it's something. It's it's Lazarus. It's not Adam. You know, I told you before. I absolutely stink. It's Lazarus A. Fifty-seven. L A Z A R U S A fifty-seven. So that's his Twitter. Follow him there. More information. The book is great. Wingman, the unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams. Dude hit 409. Show him some respect. Also, another book I mentioned last week, Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek, How 17 Shows Transform Television uh, by Tia Glassman. And this book is available now. And I have a copy. I've been reading it. And I have a promise from her publisher. She'll be on in August. And when August comes, I will email. And we will see. <laughs> we will see. I don't know. But we're going to believe him for, you know, for now. And a new one. And it's a big one. One of the all-time great authors whose books have ever been featured in this book club. And there's been many of them, starting with Paterno. Also, his last book, The Baseball 100. It's a sequel of sorts, Why We Love Baseball, A History in 50 Moments by Joe Piznanski, 
the great Joe Piznanski. It drops. Oh, did I just say drops? Man, I am going to. Man. You know what the worst part of this show has been so far? Steve Bennett. Whew. Brutal. I feel like Greg Maddox, and it's the first inning. Well, geez, I shouldn't put myself next to Maddox. I feel like Rick Ankeel, and this is my uh, playoff game here where I've thrown 13 wild pitches against the Braves. Uh, Why We Love Baseball, History in 50 Moments by the great Joe Piznanski. It comes out September 5th. Let me get out of here before I mess anything up. We'll be right back with Dan Robson from The Athletic. Sportscasters, 24-inch podcast listeners, your favorite podcast host, Steve Bennett, has a new show. It's 3x5 with Steve Bennett. New episodes every Tuesday, and this time it's on YouTube. Search North-South Connection on YouTube for the show. Each week, three lists of five each episode. Like, comment, subscribe. It's 3x5 with Steve Bennett. Hey, Dan, what's up, man? Hey, I'm good. How are you? How's Toronto today? It's very warm, very nice out, um, but yeah, it's, do- it's doing good. What is it, like 23? It's at 29. 29. Oh, Celsius, Jesus. yeah. Wow, that is hot. <laughs> Holy hell. In the world of Celsius, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that warm here. 29, jeez. Is it not? I don't think oh. it's, it's maybe like 76, 77 today. 29 is high, the, right? Yeah, 29 is super hot. 30 is like. It's super hot. I'd have to do the translation. Yeah. Uh, but I can't do it in my head, actually. I just, that <laughs> sounds hot. You know what I it's mean? Hot. I don't it's think hot. it's that hot here. It's more mild summer weather. But um, yeah, we were talking about, um, <laughs> you know, me going to Canada a lot when I was a kid. And uh, I remember before 9 11, it, uh-huh. it was not unusual for us to cross an international border on a Tuesday night because we were in the mood for Chinese food. Right. My dad <laughs> very easy to do. My very dad loved this Chinese restaurant in Fort Erie. And yeah. we would literally like, oh, let's go to I think it was called George's, actually. Let's go to George's tonight. It's Tuesday. Let's go to another country, you know, and eat. <laughs> it was like something you definitely take for granted living here. I mean, I I could be in Canada right now in ten minutes. So I mean because I live in the northern suburbs, so I could be like on the Niagara Falls border in like ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, now, but is it the, the, is it gets backed up a bit? You need like one of those Nexus passes. Yeah, uh, it's security passes, right? It's it's been uh, it hasn't been so bad since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think both sides are kind of anxious for the other to be in the country. You know what I mean? Like I think. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I think with it being you know so little, like I know so much of our a shop especially since like around 2008 when the dollar sort of collapsed for a little while here mm-hmm. um a lot of canadian people will come shopping here 
Um, yeah. You know, which is what we did, as, what I did as kids. I would go shopping there. I remember when yeah. I, we would go to Canada's Wonderland for the day when I was a kid. Oh, nice. And I would give like $10 bill at that little place with the green roof right when you cross the border. I would give them a ten dollar bill, and I would swear they gave me like a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the amount of money they gave me back. Just I would just be like, "Oh my god, I am so uh, rich." That, that might be the case right now too. Actually, to be honest, I'm it, sure it dollars, depends on the year. You know, down. it goes back and forth. Sometimes it's good yeah. for me. Sometimes it's good for you. But when I was a kid, I was just like, "Oh my god, this is going to be so." I have so much money for the weekend. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we could be uh, such a good use of your money for uh, yeah. especially Canada's Wonderland. I'm, that would have been a blast. I don't think I ever bought a pair of skates in the United States in my life. You know, I think I fair every pair of hockey skates I've ever bought, I think, was in Canada. And uh, yeah, I mean, like there's so many there's so many shops in there. I, I actually got all my I was a goalie and I, I got all my gear over in, uh, in Fort Erie um, in Canada at the Don Simmons Sports. I remember that. Yeah, said was, yeah. It was like an annual trip me and my dad would take, and I'd get new pads and everything. And it was like the, it was the best goalie shop in the world. It was it was incredible. Yep. And then there was uh, another shop right there, too, in Fort Erie. Um, which I can't think of the name of it. Pff, I've been there a billion times, too. But yeah, Don <laughs> Simmons was definitely goalie heavy. But they oh, had yeah, it was... stuff there, too. Other stuff there, too, I think. Yeah, but it was like they get all they get all the goalie sticks from all yep. of the um the, like all the remainders of all the player of all the goalies in the league. So you, I had like a David Abisher stick, like just sort of like randomly like they get all these remainders, and so I'd find the one that fits. They had more selection than anybody. It was like top quality stuff. So it was it was like it was like Christmas every time I got to go down there. It was wonderful. Get your Darren Poopa. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. I used yeah. to use fifty thirties like religiously, like the first like twelve years I played hockey. And then finally, oh, yeah. when I was in high school, they we started with the two pieces. I get the Easton Synergy two piece, and yeah. um, and then when my brother was in high school, he's eleven years younger than me. So when he was in high school, oh, you know, we're full full one piece, two hundred thirty dollars sticks. I was thinking, the new world. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. my first stick in high school was nineteen ninety nine. You know, at the yeah. pro shop <laughs> yeah. in the rink for the Shearwood fifty thirty. <laughs> you know the Ray Bork curve, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, sticks became an investment. Yeah, they, they became less of a something you could throw away. It's something you gotta you gotta keep that stick and make sure it lasts for a full season. My brother was you know a prep hockey player. He went to the USHL and he played at Yale for oh, college. Cool. Um, and so like it takes a village to get a kid from Buffalo <laughs> there, especially when you're you know blue collar people here, or whatever. So my role, my his senior year was I bought his sticks. And uh, oh, wow. I just remember okay. every single face off he took, just like putting my head in my hand and saying, okay, come on, just win this one clean. <laughs> win this one back real clean, real quick. <laughs> I don't know how many more, I don't know how many more slashes at the, the center I stopped that one's got in it. You know, he's like coming over the blue line, like getting ready to shoot. I'm like, wrist shot, wrist shot. <laughs> That's a new level of suspense. Yeah, don't need to wind up, you know. Well, I think I probably bought him, I don't know, six or seven that year. But then, you know, then when he got to USHL, he's when he would come home, he'd bring me one with his yeah. name on it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, they're never getting them. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so cool. I reached out, I don't know, right before your baby was born, I guess, because yeah. we put it off because your baby was about to be born. And you had just written about Bedard. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Bedard has obviously now been picked first overall pick. He's going to Chicago. Some people were upset about that, which mm. I don't totally understand. I, I don't always make these connections people make about things that happened 
and now this should have. I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if if that just then the Blackhawks, then I guess you know what I mean. Don't have them, man. If that's the case, but hey, they got very lucky. You know, they're going to go from Taves and Kane to yeah to Bedard, yeah. and if there's anything that might make someone upset, maybe it's that. At least for me, you know. And it's interesting because we've seen these big generational guys. Mm. by coincidence, go to places that have had big generational guys already, right? Like McDavid yeah. went where Messier and Gretzky were. You know, Crosby went where Yager and Lemieux were. You know, now... Or it's all a big conspiracy, and they keep going. Right, right. I'm kidding. Yeah. The NHL so badly wanted to rig the <laughs> the thing that they sent poor Connor McDavid to Edmonton uh, to, to, to I, skate out of his years in obscurity up there, right? <laughs> I uh, I couldn't give the, the NHL that like enough credit to be that good at a conspiracy, so right. I, don't, I don't think that they uh, to be able that's to. The case. But I just that's what happens though for sure, right? Yeah, to be but, able to fake it, like you know, in front of those it. auditors yeah. and the, the media that's in the room and yeah. all the pres. Like I guarantee you, um, <laughs> the Sabres GM would have lost his. They would have had to tie him up for the rest of his life. To get him to agree to fix that lottery, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Do <laughs> you remember him storming off the uh, set when we lost? Oh my god! I was actually at a tragically hip show. In, oh yeah, in Buffalo at the arena. Um, and it was confusing because the volume was down, you know, and there was a lot of people yeah. kind of crowded around this TV because it's the the day we worked for so hard for you know a year, um, selling our souls to cheer against, um our team and when the volume is off and they were just showing the logos and the ones that when it won like the Edmonton one was a different color but it was kind of hard we didn't get that explanation or whatever so we didn't really realize we lost the the lottery at first um it was kind of delayed um it wasn't until (laughs) GMTM was seen storming off and Connor McDavid wasn't very happy either by the way um (laughs) if you recall Uh, and I just remember everyone, everyone from Buffalo, being so sad, and everyone from Toronto, just making fun of us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and this, and as we're about to come together and celebrate um, the fully completely record, which I think they were playing in its entirety that right. night, um, <laughs> and uh, it was a surreal experience. But um, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Bedard is in Chicago, and here's what I'm hoping for Bedard. Um, the, 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 I told you, my, my brother, he won a national championship at Yale. Um, it was mm-hmm. 2013, so it's a 10-year anniversary this year. Awesome. And um, I did a little thing on the podcast. I had a couple of the guys on the show. Um, Andrew Miller, who is a, a really cool trivia question because he scored one NHL goal and it was on a penalty shot. Um, okay. So that's kind of cool, I think, for the Oilers. Very cool. Um, there's only one other player, I think, who ever scored one and one only goal on a penalty shot. Him and some other guy from, like, the 1850s or something. Um, but, uh, my point was I wrote this little thing up for them to read and, um, and it sort of promo the show and they wouldn't do it. It, it. Like it was a joke and they just couldn't get the joke. And I'm like, you know what? This is such a hockey player thing. You guys have no personalities. You're so bland. Look at how brutal Connor McDavid is. Sidney Crosby wasn't any better. He bombed on Jay Leno talking about a dryer or something like, how is this game ever going to grow? If you guys are so boring, you know, I know you don't want to be LeBron James. You know, these memes come around. You know, look at the hockey. LeBron says me uh, me, and the hockey players say we and blah, blah, blah. What about Bedard? Is he any better? Does he have a personality? Is he someone that can grow the game with his 
personality yeah. and his attitude. Like he's, does he? Can he give me hope for this you know, thing that I sometimes love about? I do love the humility of hockey players, and I admire it's it. A, you know, yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, that's a really good question because I, you know, I, one thing about Bedard that I think we all got to keep in mind is, you know, he's he's 17 years old. Like his, we actually have the same birthday, so I know when he turns 18, it was right. that was coincidentally. I was like, oh, that's I found that out. So, I mean, like he turns 18 next um, next Monday. Like it's like this, oh, he's wow. a kid, and yeah. so I mean, I. I think that it's when we think about this. I, I I've see, actually seen, you know, if I've, I've been obviously reading about him a lot and watching all the video and interviews he's done for the last year. I mean, I, I didn't. I, I started. I did the story back in March when I got to kind of know his family and know him and talk to him and stuff. And so, um, you know, I I've seen. I think this evolution. If you saw him at the NHL draft, he's kind of coming out of his shell. You see his personality a bit more. He's He's a little more comfortable with this, but I think one of the things to keep in mind, especially for these players who are so exceptional, like hockey has been absolutely everything for him. And, and it's like in this sort of like unique way, like not, you know, in this sort of almost like savant way where it's just like, I just, he lives and breathes hockey. And I know it sounds so cliche to say that, but it's absolutely true. Like I had a long yeah, conversation oh, absolutely. with Connor, you know, and it's like, he's just, I'm like, so what do you like, what music do you listen to? You What do you do? And it's like, he's almost, you know, and, and this is like, to his credit, like, but like he's stretching for answers because he, to get to where he is, he's had to become, you know, he thinks about hockey on this genius level and he just thinks about it constantly. And so I think that, that right now, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, you can't expect too much, I think, sort of to be the personality kind of guy who comes in and sort of saves, you know, like has that sort of like uh, appeal that people will follow. But to that end, he's, he's, coming into his own now he's getting used to all the media attention I mean, he's been having it for years but i think you see him kind of um you know coming out of the shell a, a little bit you saw it at the world juniors i think for when he, when he played for canada and and i think he became like a national hero you thought um, he came he, out of his shell there though because well, at the end i think at the okay. very end when he had that like like kind of coming out and sort of like he has this sort of you know that um the unbelievable uh, goal. interview at the end where he's like yeah. i don't want to talk about me i want to talk yeah, about yeah i was a little disappointed on that yeah. And I think I think the passion that came out was it showed it showed sort of like the unscripted side of him. And yes, it was still all about hockey and all about the kind of like yeah. I'm all the kind of typical hockey player guy. But you saw that excitement, and so I, I think we're going to see more as he as the years come on. I think like three four years from now, I do think you're going to see um, you know some personality um, come out of him that I think will be appealing. Um, it's, it's not going to be, I, I don't think he's going to be sort of the most, um, you know, energetic sort of, you know, flamboyant, interesting, uh, beyond the game kind of guy. I mean, I, he might, but I, I think right now what you see on the ice is going to be enough to, to draw your attention and think this guy's is exceptional and I want to watch the game and connect to the game because of that. All right. One more thing. And I want to talk to him about the ice, but on the ice, but one more thing yeah. about this. You know, you mentioned the, the World Juniors, and I was a little disappointed because he scores this, like, unbelievable goal <laughs> yeah. to win the game in overtime. But, like, he doesn't want to talk about it or explain it or talk. I don't know. I know some of those questions are brutal. It's like, well, how did it feel to score that goal? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I know that that – what are you going to say, really? I get it. But um, I think the thing is, and I was talking about my brother, like, I remember we used to drive home from prep games, and we would talk about yeah. the game on this, like, unbelievable level. And then when he's in the USHL for, like, a month – I went down to, to to watch him play in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I remember we were driving home from the game, and I'm just like, "So, what'd you think of that play? You know, like, in the, you know, you got that your first USHL goal tonight. What'd you think?" 
Like, yeah, you know, the boys that like really worked hard down low. They got it up to me. You know what I mean? It's an unbelievable. I'm just like, who, what are you? Ta- who, who, what are you talking about? Like, who are you talking to? You know, I think these guys they go to their their event essentially pros so young. You know, you're living yeah. hockey. He was a, an exceptional status. You know, essentially yeah. turned pro in hockey at 15. You yeah. know, and he's being coached and taught the hockey culture, which again, oh, yeah. I, I do admire it. You know what I mean? But you know, I think yeah. you need a little bit of Matthew to Chuck in some of these guys, you know, or, or I like, yeah, no, yeah. the Matthew Kachuk, that's interesting. The Matthew Kachuk side of it. I, mean, I don't, I think some of his personality, I think you're right. Like, I mean, especially in, in hockey, like it, it's, we can talk about this forever. Like, I think there's a unique, um, there's a unique thing that gets sort of built into hockey players, especially talented young hockey players that you kind of follow that you know, Sidney Crosby interview kind of model, like say, always say the right thing, never say too much, always thank the team, you know, always, it's always about pucks in deep, yep. simplify the game. Like it's, yeah. it's like think, thinking that, sim- yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's entertaining sometimes, but it's really frustrating as a journalist, obviously, because I, I want the best answers possible. I, mean, I want every player to be like Matthew Kachuk to say exactly what's on his mind and to say it with passion. And, um, but that's just, that's just not the culture of, of hockey. Like it's, it's not. And especially, um, high level hockey, you know, like, you, like your brother, like you go away and you're, you're playing, you're part of the team. This, this is the, the way people are speaking or it's the way you learn to speak to people outside of the locker room about the game. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Um, and, and absolutely, I guess like to, to Connor talking about, you know, the goal, you know, I think there's, there's definitely that, um, element to it, but I think there's another thing that happens too. Like, um, you know, I, I've talked, I got to interview Gretzky, um, for a previous thing we did the athletic top hundred players. Yeah. I, I have that on my list. Yeah, for sure. I got to, I got, I got to write this feature about him. So I went to Fenway and I hung out with him and we talked like, cause he was doing the TNT broadcast at the outdoor game. And so we were hanging out in the, uh, Fenway dugout and I talked to Gretzky about, you know, like his, his own greatness. And it's interesting because all he could do is really talk about everybody else's greatness. And I, part of that is that built in humility or that sense of like, you always talk about something else is that, you know, Canadian hockey player kind of mentality. But I think part of it too is it's hard to explain what you did and what you saw. Like when you're operating, you know, when when Bedard's weaving through an entire team to score their overtime winner. That was sick. Like it's <laughs> it's like it's it's brilliant. But yeah. it's like it's what he it's he's seeing everyone move more slowly than we see them. Like it's he's moving that much more quickly. And so I, I think it's I think it's difficult sometimes for um athletic genius to convey what it is that they're seeing and experiencing and i think that that's one thing we have to be gracious about sometimes because it's just so it's so difficult um to sort of explain what you do and i know with, with gretzky it was it was difficult too like all he wants to do is sort of downplay his and he's actually he pretty like, good at it like yeah and he's been doing it for and he's been yeah. doing it for for years but you can just tell you're just like oh like it's just i don't know i find it i find that part of it kind of fascinating you know and yeah um it's one of those things, like, I mean, I, I, you know, Chuck aside, I mean, some of the best talkers in the game and, and inevitably sometimes the best coaches in the game are players who aren't the best players in the game, right? Like, it's the sure. it's the people who... Yep. Um, the Paul Bizanets, right, of the world. Yeah, yeah. Paul Bizanet. Paul yeah. Bizanet can talk about the game forever and he's entertaining and he's and he's smart. Like, he understands the game, but he, he played at a high level, but, like, he also was a bit of a... Uh, like not to be derisive to him in any way, but a bit of a spectator in yep. the game. You know? yeah. like he would admit he's, it. He's been watching. Yep. You know, he's watched greatness around him, but never. And he achieved a level of greatness for sure, like better than than most than most people watching the game. 
but he he embraces that, and I think that's kind of what's made him such a great, um, you know, an eloquence. And I, I do think he's quite eloquent when he speaks about the game in in a, in a very entertaining way. I want to get to Gretzky in a second, but let's finish Bedard. So, since I don't know, probably since Crosby, maybe around there, it seems like every draft we have a generational talent at number one, right? Yeah. Every year there's a new. We got a tank for this guy. We got a tank for this guy. You know, Rasmus Dahlin's the best defensive prospect since you yeah, know Lafreniere, yeah, whoever yeah. you know Lafreniere, yeah, um, over and over and over. And sometimes they're great, right? Sometimes they are very good. Like uh, Austin Matthews is unbelievable, right? You know, um, Connor McDavid yeah. obviously was un- is uh, actually generational, probably, right? Um, mm. Where does where do you think mm. Connor Bedard ranks? Versus the um, number one overall picks, go back as far as you want. If you want to go to Crosby, go ahead. Because yeah, then we can slip Ovechkin in there too. If you want, you know, where does where does a, this guy rank as number one overall pick to you? So uh, I'd probably I'd have. It's a good trivia question. Even I'd probably I'd probably screw that trivia question up. Even going back and thinking about the number overall number because I'm terrible at memory. I think like I know that, most. But I can tell you this. Yeah, uh, having seen the like I I mean I, I think I think we know though. Like that question, I'll kind of simplify it. I mean, I think if you were to go. Um, I think it's like if you so if you go back to, to like just I think go back, back to, to McDavid, just go back to McDavid. Yeah, I think go back to McDavid. Yeah, I think I think he's McDavid. Um, I, I think he's Connor too. Like, okay, I think just he's, so above Matthews not, then. I, I think he's above Matthews. Yeah. Okay, and I like I, I think Matthews is incredible. I agree with you. He's I mean his his shots exceptional and he's a fantastic player. But I think I think Bedard in it. I think obviously we got to give him some grace and some time. Like give him, let him. He's going to play on the. You know, the Blackhawks have actually done pretty well to bring some muscle around it. But I think he's going to be. You know, there's going to be a bit of a adjustment. Like I'll give him that. But I think I think he's going to be. You know, above above Matthews and below McDavid. I mean, McDavid I think is the generation. Like he's you've got the speed, you've got everything. Bedard doesn't have the incredible skating, natural athleticism that McDavid does. But he sees the game in in a you know in, a, in an exceptional way, and his shot is just like unbelievable. So he's got like you know the Patrick Kane, but he's also got the Austin Matthews ability to to put the puck in the net. So I mean, I think you've kind of got um, something new, um, you know. And, and obviously, people there's their sort of takes on it, like you know, and if he, he could fall down to sort of like a um, you know Kucherov, kind of, I and mean, it's it's funny to say fall down to, but like you know, like be could he slide to like Kucherov that kind of level of star? I I watched him play. Um, I went out to Regina and uh, I wa- I've traveled to Moose Jaw and Saskatoon for the story that I wrote for the Athletic, and I watched him play in three straight games, three straight three straight days. They played like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which was crazy. And I saw him score. Um, I think it was like I actually had, it was two five point nights, and then like a very quiet like. Uh, I think it was like three points, like one goal, but it was like he, he, he set the record. But it was just like it was also the thing about it that was incredible was that it seemed almost like it was run of the mill. Like he scored a hat trick, and it was just like I mean they lost the game. It was a terrible defensive game for sure. It was like eight seven or something. Right, it's not like, like they won the Memorial Cup or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. But it's just like his performance was still exceptional. Like he's right. on the ice, and you're seeing him play against. I mean, these are the best young hockey players in the world. Like they're, they're these, you know, they're they're in the best. Um, this you know junior league in the world, and they're playing great. And he's just like head and shoulders above them in terms of just like it's like seeing seeing a different game than everyone else is seeing, playing a different game than everyone's playing. It's what it's what Crosby did, and, and it's what McDavid did, and and how the question now. So I think like 
if you look at the level for junior, he's already, you know, like you look back at junior, you can compare him to all those people. Now the question is, what is the jump and, and what does he do in the NHL? And that's the, you know, we're all going to be, you know, on edge of our seat, hoping for the best and, and seeing where it goes. But I think um, from what I've seen, and, and I, by no means am I the smartest mind to, to talk about this. I, I, I think you've got tons of, tons of people who watch every second of every game, but I, I think he's going to end up being um, kind of like a, Connor, Connor 2.0, like a, a not not quite what Connor McDavid achieves, but um, just you know an exceptional generational player for sure. Yeah, and I think like you didn't mention him, but another one one who I think he's going to be immediately compared to. And I know one's a winger, one's a center. Fine, but the Patrick Kane, he's going to have to yeah. be better than Patrick oh, yeah. Kane, right? Because yeah, Pat, you know that's he's going to be in in the house that Patrick Kane built. And- so to speak, I, you know what I mean. Even though Jordan built a, that one, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> right, yeah. it's the ice. It's the ice that he laid down. Yeah, right, 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 right. In the house that Jordan built, under the but banners I mean, I think, he raised. How we can go with that, right? Yeah, I yes. mean that's the thing. I mean that he's coming into uh, a storied franchise. Like, yeah. you know, love them or hate them, you yeah. know, for never has good reasons for that. But sure. I think you can go. They they are, you know, they 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 put banners in the in the rafters, and they are a beloved team and so i was actually mark lazarus um our, our chicago writer yeah um, i was talking to uh, at the draft about this and he wrote a column about it like the bar right now like it's, it's an it's, it's such an interesting thing for a young person to walk into because the bar is patrick you, kane if you're not better than patrick kane yep. you're a bust yep because he's right? a one one he's just like yeah. you a first overall pick from the chl drafted to yeah. save the franchise right and patrick yeah. kane did yeah he, he obviously had jonathan taves a one jonathan a one yeah. three right a third yeah. overall pick um, but yeah. but um, and a pretty and a pretty good third over, like a third overall pick that became like could have been a right. first overall pick, of course you know, like, yep a very it, good third overall pick not yeah, a Dylan Strom like, no offense to Dylan yeah. Strom but yeah yeah no offense but I mean right. Jonathan Taves be also is one of the you know the greatest players of of, of his era like absolutely and then sure. so now you lose both of them and now you've got him now you've got Bedard stepping in and and a team that you know needs to build around him so I mean I hope people give him some time. Um, you know, to, to get that team around him because like they make good moves, but they're not a they're not a team that's you know challenging for a cup right now. And it and it also the other thing that sucks and all it doesn't suck, but I think that you get measured against is you know like yes, because Kane has the banners and, and they've got the Chicago Blackhawks kind of they they've got that lore now. You know, and you get the guy like McDavid. I mean, he's just struggling and fighting through like yeah. the greatest seasons we've seen in this generation. And you know, Edmonton can't get to the cup, and it's like, is he any? Is he any lesser? Obviously and he has his winmate too. He has his Yager. And right? he's got Dreisaitl. Yeah, right. he's, he's got, got like, Dreisaitl. He's, yep. he's got his Taves are yep. better. Yeah, you know, probably better than Taves. And he's got like, but he can't. They can't do it. So I, I don't. So it's interesting. And I think he, I, no matter what, like in Edmonton, they'll always love Connor McDavid. Like I think they know what they know what they're dealing with. Like they have Gretzky. They and then they get you know this this you know and they, they but they're used to um, you know a lot of pain. And now I think in Chicago, the expectation is going to be. You know, revive this franchise, and it'll be interesting to see how the pressure um, falls on 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 Bedard's shoulders and how he handles it. But I do think it's interesting that you, it's not like if like if he was walking into Anaheim, like if he got drafted by Anaheim, there's right. way less pressure. Oh yeah, you know, it's yeah. like you, you know, Columbus, and it's, and it's a, you know, whoever like Columbus, else. Yeah. like you, you then become like for Anaheim, it's like okay, you know, you've got I mean, you've got Getzlaff and Perry, you've got Solani and um, Korea and and Korea, like yeah. you've got these. You know, you've got you know icons in the franchise, but if you know, no, you look at them and they've they've obviously had a lot of success. But 
I think there's way less pressure for him to walk in there than oh, yeah. to come right on the heels of you know Kane being traded last year. Like it was like legitimately the the era ended. Well, yeah. the the era ended probably a couple years ago, but like you know it officially ended with the players departing. Yeah, and now you've got you know the the beginning of something new. And those places you mentioned, we mentioned too. Those are laid back, fra- like laid back yeah. fan yeah. bases. You know, like oh yeah, yeah. Like, Anaheim's just like you know. I mean, a good a good fan base. Yeah, it's sure. good. I've I've been there. The, the rinks the rinks fun. The parade I, is like, in the I, parking lot, but I mean, it's still good. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's fair. But the you know the vibe is like players show yeah. up and you know they're showing yeah. up in their shorts to practice. Like it's a good place to play. Hockey sure, yeah, sure. sure. Uh, if you yeah. can stay in California, sure. Um, <laughs> the the um, shout out to shout out to the great Joe Pisnanski, um, yeah, who, who I think started this top one hundred thing. Um, oh yeah, 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 and uh, we got a hockey one right with the ninety nine because of course number one was going to be Gretzky, and you wrote the yeah. one and I I read it uh, I read it last night I read it again today but I was listening to a um let's see uh, David Spade and Dana Carvey have a podcast everyone's got a podcast <laughs> right yeah <laughs> like I have one like pfft, everyone has one uh, Dana Carvey and, and and David Spade have one and they had Gretzky on because oh, wow. because yeah. Gretzky did SNL with Carvey. Dana okay. Yeah, you know, like he was on in the, like I think when he was on, like the opening sketch was Wayne's World. You know, season so like he was yeah. on like in that era. I always remember him yeah. like carrying around a surfboard or so, like there was some kind of Hawaii thing. I always remember when I was a kid watching. <laughs> but um, anyway, he was on there, and I brought it up because you were talking earlier about him, about him and how he talks about the game and stuff. And I've also had this this for, uh, this hockey writer you maybe grew up reading. I know I did. It's been cool having him on a few few times. Al Strachan. Who is oh, kind yeah, of yeah. kind of the guy? He's an interesting character for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. A very confident man. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, who was though kind of the guy Gretzky trusted in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he he goes. I mean, yeah. wrote Gretzky's book. Yeah, and he you a know lot of he, stuff with him. he knew about the Blues trade first. I mean, he 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 was a lot of ways. Michael Jordan had a Mad Rashad. You know, um, Strachan yeah. was to Gretzky. Whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, Gretzky. Even though, yes, he has a little bit of what we're talking about before, he's actually really good at talking about what he accomplished. And yeah, he won't do it without saying, oh, thank God for Messier or, you know, yeah. there was some random fighter sure. that they were talking yeah. about on the. Domenko. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. like somehow he's the reason Gretzky got 92 goals or whatever. So he does yeah. that part of it too. But you can tell he's proud of his records. You know, you can tell oh, yeah. he thinks it's cool. He won the heart trophies and the cups. And, you know, I think I think he's he's really an interesting guy that um yeah. like we can't pass up this moment with him in the next mm-hmm. ten or fifteen years. Like we gotta make sure we've gotten everything out of him before protect, he's not protect with, him, yeah, protect him at all costs. Before yeah. he's he, not with us anymore. Cause he is <laughs> he, really good. You know, he is really good well, i don't know your part thoughts. of that i think what i yeah. think is really interesting about wayne and and what what he is his experience in the game is like he, he's beloved i mean I, um just beyond generations like i when i was at fenway doing that story on him that i was talking about um but part, one of the scenes i write about is just like the like the 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 like attention that just kind of follows him like a wave as he's walking and i mean that obviously like if it was jordan if it was anybody you'd have that but you have these like kids who are eight years old screaming for Wayne Gretzky and they never saw him play right all, right you've even got you've got 20 year olds that are screaming for Wayne Gretzky and they never really saw him play it's all kind of through this through the lens of, of the past and 
you know, it's kind of, I guess, what, you know, I guess 20, 30 years ago you might have had for Gordie Howe, but I think it's even di- more different because of, like, the era that he came up and playing in and, you know, hockey, like, obviously moving to L.A. And, like, it just, there's a whole, there's a whole machine kind of behind it um, of the superstar athlete at that time that, like, became, you know, this, I think, uh, iconic beyond the games that they played. And that's what... He hosted Saturday Night Live, right? Exactly. Hosted, right exactly. Yeah. hosted Saturday Night Live, right? Like, yeah. hosted Saturday Night Live. He's he's a he's a cultural figure as married a movie to just star. Like a hockey player. Yeah, married a movie um, star. You know. Married a movie star, you yeah. know, and, and exactly, right? And Socialite like, you know, daughter that. who marries a golfer. Like he's just he's a he's a he's a celebrity beyond hockey. What what I think is interesting about him is that he decided now to do this TNT thing and kind of be back in the game as a personality, right, which he doesn't have to do. Which, mm-hmm. which a guy like, you know, all, all, you know, some would say equally great, but obviously like, you know, I one like one of the greatest of all time, second greatest probably, uh, Mario Lemieux. Yeah, what is he ever got, You know, I have he, no he's, idea. He's, yeah. he's very quiet. Like yep. he, he's he's done a lot for the game. Like mm-hmm. that, I, don't get me wrong. Like nobody could ever discredit what he's done with the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah. and his commitment to hockey. Absolutely, but it's not. It's been kind of he's kind of moved behind the scenes, right? Yep. Bobby Orr did the same. Business. Um, yeah. Yeah, Gretzky learned this. Learned how to interact with people through Gordy Howe, his idol. Like I met, I met Gordy before he died. I had an incredible uh, afternoon with him playing, uh, doing a puzzle. Years it was a, it was a really cool experience. Like right before dementia kind of set in for him, and and I, I it was really interesting because I got to see it wasn't just about what they did on the ice, sort of what they do off the ice and how they and how they share the game with the people who love it. And and Gordy did that. And Wayne met him when he's eight years old or 11 years old there's yep. a famous photo of Brantford but then actually uh, I write about this too like became like he they, they're very they were very close and he learned how to be a star through that model which was being generous and being out there and doing podcasts like that or obviously Gordy wasn't doing podcasts but doing interviews and being um like Mr. Hockey obviously quote unquote so um I think Wayne is really filling that role right now and and it's it's really neat to see when when you see Wayne Gretzky on a panel talking about a hockey game like he is like on the same panel as as Paul Buzanet right which is kind of hilarious but also really cool because it's he's he's like connecting every part of the game you know and like he's the greatest and yet he's sort of sharing what he sees with everybody, and I think he's he's you know he's beloved for that. And I think that's part of his legend. Yeah, he's 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 really good, and um, I, I love listening to him talk. And he's one like we talked about with Bedard. He's one of the all time hockey lovers. You know what I oh, mean? He gosh, just yeah. loves hockey. Yeah. He does. You know? Yeah, he just watches hockey. Yeah. Texts the, when he's on the panel on TNT, just texts the guys like, "Hey, I saw this. this is what I saw." Like when because he, he's not on all the panels, right? So he's yeah. just like he's texting them. Um, telling him, you know, what he sees and what he thinks they should talk about and stuff. Like he just stays in it, you know. And he's also, interestingly enough, he's a huge baseball nerd too. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a whole other side of it. He's a sport lover, uh, which is which is really cool. Yeah. And in that interview, they're talking about him, and you know, they're like, "Did you practice a lot?" He's like, "I wasn't practicing. You know, I just went out and played. I just wanted to go out and play hockey. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, what yeah. a guy like, and." And then talk about pressure. I mean, well, like he's playing up against eleven year olds and he's getting banned from youth hockey yeah. and parents are mad yeah. at him and you know, like wasn't yeah. exactly easy either. You know what I mean for him. So what a dude. What a dude. Um the sportscasters are here. Uh the athletic uh is where you write, Dan. And um mm-hmm. uh you're I was interested. I, I had to ask you is like what exactly is a senior enterprise writer? uh basically when i explain it when i'm emailing people it's kind of like a senior feature writer like i write 
features that um that you know all, most of my stories about three are about three thousand words long that's kind of like right. a target like the, sometimes like the, the bedard one you know the you bedard go, story yeah, yeah. they're all they're all long story i mean they're all they're all stories that are like narrative driven and are focused on um generally like not they're not game stories i don't i don't cover a team um and, and i also like i don't always just write about the nhl i write about the nba or the mlb and stuff um mostly nhl just because i i'm canadian i grew up playing hockey and that's that's my language um so i i can speak it and i understand it and um but but for the most part i mean I, everything else is sport and i i try to write stories that sort of exist on a on a human level that i would hope that any person um, what, regardless of their, for example, their experience with hockey or interest in hockey or, or anything I write, would, would want to read it. So uh, the stories that are really story-driven versus sort of sport-specific driven. Um, so obviously I'm not like an analytics guy or a, sure. uh, you know, or insider talking about trades or talking You're about for humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, um, it's, it's kind of a free-for-all. So it's kind of a catch-all term, I guess, is the way to say it. But uh, enterprise means I'm out there looking for the best stories possible to tell. Now, I know it's only been a day, and this could be way over your head anyway, but I'm curious, have you been told or have you heard anything about how your role or the athletic in general might be different now that you're essentially the sports page for the paper of record in the United States of America? You know, I, I haven't we haven't heard anything about that okay. at all yeah, uh, yet, but, I, you know, I, I'd say, I would just say that, like, I mean, obviously the New York Times sports page is one of the most storied sports pages like in, in, in our history. I mean, I'm a huge journalism nerd and sports writing nerd. And then currently there's an exceptional writers there. I'm, I'm very happy to know that they're all staying and writing. And I do think you're going to see a lot of their great work still being supported, um, uh, you know, through the website. So I, I don't know how I, I, my understanding is that um, this is all still playing out and, and we'll see how it, how it operates. But um, since I've, since we were purchased by the New York times and I've worked for the New York times, I've, you know, it's, it's been an exceptional uh, experience for me because, um, you know, we we're supported by and and now like a, a sister publication to one of the most, as I said before, story like uh, journalistic institutions right. in, in North it's America in and in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's as a as a person who grew up, you know, obviously wanting to be a journalist or going through college, university to be a journalist and everything like. It's it's pretty neat that you know, like my MacBook net now has the New York Times logo on it, and I'm really um, proud to help in any way that. So in any way that um, my work is a part of that body, like I'm I'm really proud for it to be uh, published there. Very cool. All right, last thing I'll let you out on this, and I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but we're not going to go very deep here. I mean, no big deal. Sure. All right, we're going to do a snake draft. All you can pick any Canadian. We'll go four. Okay. We'll go four rounds real quick. Um, we'll pick up a team of two, you know, or a team of four each. Uh, you can go first or second, whatever you want to do. You can have the first Canadian, or you can have the next two. Any Canadian is eligible. Any anyone born in Canada is eligible. Uh, is this for is this for like a, a team? This is this like uh... you just it's a team of four, and and we're and like if if we were to say like vote a poll here, <laughs> the question would be like who has a better team of Canadians? That's okay, all we're saying. You know, that's all we're saying. No, you can pick any Canadian. They could be dead, but any Canadian. So it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, okay, so it doesn't matter. Uh, like what it's not they like do, right? No. Like where they are now, it's like no. just like total total ability. They could be a. Okay. You could pick, you know, the runner. Who was the runner? Terry Shriver or Shriver? Who was that? Oh, Terry. Oh, Terry. Uh, <laughs> Terry Fox. Oh, Terry Fox. That was her name. That's right. Or you could. So are you, you know, it, are you talking hockey? Are you no, talking anyone, anything. anything. You could Jeez, pick any Canadian. And and this is not it's not sports specific either. No, you could you could pick uh, Alan Thick if you want. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you really toss this. You really you really yeah, send it for a loop. I'm a wide range of Canadians there. 
But like I said, okay. we're not going that deep. So I mean, how hard is it to pick? Like you know, put it real quick. Like top four Canadian list in your head. So you're gonna. So if you want to go first, you get the first guy. Or if you want to get go second, you get the next two. It's up to you. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. Well, my my head right now is in sports. So I'm probably gonna keep it in that world because I probably I'm gonna miss a lot of great Canadians here. Cause, uh, but I'll go. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, uh, go ahead. I'll take the one we were just talking about. I'll take Wayne Gretzky okay. uh, first overall. Yeah. All right. Nothing wrong with that. All right. With my first pick. I would like to select the late great Gord Downey. Okay. Um, and with my second pick, I would like to select the late great Neil Peart. So wow. I will go musician, musician in honor of the two legends who we've lost in the last few years. You you, you did go deep. All okay. Right. So I'm gonna go Gord Downey. So I got my singer and I got my drummer. Maybe I'm making a band. A, Maybe I'm not. Writer, we'll see. Actually. I think, yeah, really and a writer. writer. Yep, I got a, an author. I mean, he's really a renaissance yeah. man. Neil could do whatever he, he wants. Yeah, so I love that perp pick. But now you're up for two, I guess, right? <laughs> Shit, okay. Um, okay, well, if we're going to go if we're gonna go writing, then, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll toss out uh, Margaret Atwood okay. after that. Then. Yep. Um, obviously, one of the, obviously, what beloved all over the world and fantastic. And then um, let's go, jeez. Am I going to put who, who? Who do I put beside Margaret Atwood? That's a real it's tough. I'm yeah, really it's putting. Tough. I'm really setting myself up. For They're going to be intimidated. Whoever it is is going to be intimidated walking yeah. into the locker room with Wayne Gretzky yeah. and Margaret. You know, it's and tough. Margaret Atwood. Yeah. Um, I was at a play with her. You better go like Michael J. Fox or something like that. You know, you oh need someone. Michael J. Fox is great too. Yeah. yeah. Uh shit, man. You're really. You know what? Okay, if you want to go music, I'll, I'll throw Neil Young out there. Okay, I can't beat Uncle Neil. All right, okay. so then I have two more to finish my team, and then you have the last pick to finish yours. So I have some really precious human beings that I need protected. So I'm going to pick Brett the Hitman Hart uh, from Calgary, <laughs> Alberta, just in like the enforcer role, you know, just to make sure Neil, Neil and Gord are safe. Um, <laughs> he, he's going to be third. And then, you know what? I'm a hockey guy, so I want a hockey player, you know, and you, you took Wayne, so I can't get Wayne. So give me Mario. And that gives me it, it gives me some credibility in the French audience, too. You know what I mean? So I, my team still plays in Quebec. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, Mario, he comes to town. You know, they're happy. So I'll take. Mario, so, you, can't, you can't go wrong yeah, Mario. So, so I have, I, my team is Gord Downey, Neil Peart, um, Mario Lemieux, and Brett the Hitman Hart. So I have, I have <laughs> one from Calgary. I have one from Kingston. I have one from Quebec. And I have one from uh, St. Catharines, just down the road from me. Very good. Okay. Okay. You know what? I mean, I, I just try to think of like the wide ranging, um, you know, the, the appeal of this. Um, right now, just just for just talking about sports, and, and because I am you know, been relation to what he's doing, and I probably regret this later, but I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Reynolds for my for my last. Oh one, no, you can't. That's a great pick. That is a good pick. Yeah, just you know what he's done with you know Rex. I mean, he seems to be like the kind of you mentioned like Renaissance man. The guy is just like yeah. Okay, I'm an actor, and now I'm just going to also be own all of these things and be kind of cool about it all. So no, I'll, I'll a- take. Uh, Take Ryan Reynolds. You have a you have a businessman. You have a heartthrob, right? You get yeah. the you get the girls are going to love your team. You get the handsome guy there, the handsome movie star. He's in yeah. comic book movies. Yeah, you get the international <laughs> crowd with the soccer you know connection. So I think that was a, a sells gin. It's great. Yeah, it sells and and cheap and cheap uh, cellular services as well. Apparently, <laughs> you, oh. you can find Dan on Twitter. He's at r o b s o n d a n. Um, Robson Dan. You can find him there yeah. on Twitter, and of course the Athletic. Uh, if you're a subscriber like I am, there, there's probably a deal. There's always a deal. 
Um, if you're not a subscriber, search, you know, athletic deal. I'm sure you'll find one. Um, if not, wait a minute, then there'll be one. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's it's worth it. I've been a day one subscriber. Um, I don't know. Anything else? Anyone, anything you want to promote? Any questions for me? Anything you want to mention? Who won the draft, no. in your opinion? Who won the draft? Yeah. Of Chicago. <laughs> no, <laughs> me or you. Forget that draft. Oh. This is the- <laughs> our draft. I think, well, you, your, your draft was... Uh, like I don't, I mean, I, I like my picks, but I think you know, you you were you dropping Gord down and Neil Pert right away. Like that was just like a one-two punch. So that was a tough one, and like I like that you kind of went off the board a little bit with that too. Yeah. But, you know, it's, you know, I was thinking, oh, like who, who people know. So you know, I, I think you know, I, I think for star power, I probably won. I think I've yeah, got more with Reynolds and Gretzky. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I might like, be better. Gord, I might play better in Canada. You might play yeah, better. You'd win the Cana- yeah. In the Canadian in a Canadian arena. Like a, even well Brett hit my heart. I mean those are some iconic Canadians, but I think I was thinking more international crowd, like who would who'd be more internationally known. So yeah. So it's, it depends on what the competition is, but you definitely were more Canadian than I was, I think. Yeah. Which is good. Which is interesting because yeah. you're the Canadian. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> but that's the thing about us. You know, yeah. we're just always thinking about <laughs> we're not we're not thinking about being Canadian all that much. So, <laughs> oh, get out of here! That's not true. No, that isn't true. Actually, <laughs> that's not true. Come on, yeah. uh, you're not sneaking that one by me. Come on now. All right, yeah, I was I just opened up my list of Canadian celebrities. Like we're, we're always <laughs> we've always got them ready to go. Dan, this is this is a lot of fun. I enjoyed you. Thanks so much for debuting. Let's do it again. Maybe yeah, next sure. time you can you can prepare a list. You know, a rank. Yeah, next time I'll know. We'll do yeah, team two and we'll take the guys we drafted kind of off the board. You know, okay. and we'll see. We'll add to our teams. Every time you come on, we'll add four new players. Our teams can awesome. grow. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank Dan Robson and Andy Green for being on this podcast. Don't forget, you can find each episode of the Sportscasters podcast and every interview I've ever done on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. If you are so inclined, want to go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star review, I appreciate that. Same thing on Stitcher. If they do reviews there, that'd be good, too. Um, and Spotify would be a good place to give a review if they do that. Does anyone even listen on Stitcher still? I don't know if that's still a thing, but Spotify and Apple for sure. Uh, don't forget to check out the 24-inch podcast at 24-inch podcast on Twitter, 24-inch podcast at gmail.com as well. Uh, we have an episode coming up about the 1994 Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair match in WCW. It's episode 40 of that podcast. It's We do a few um, every once in a while. Uh, we got one coming soon. Uh, also, one more time as you heard the new promo. Is that any good? Probably sucks. I don't know. I hate shit I do. Uh, check out the 3x5 show on YouTube. Search North-South Connection on YouTube every Tuesday, 10 a.m. New episode every week. Uh, this week, we have the show about Italian-Americans, so check that out if you like. All right, one last thing for me tonight, and I'm not going to go too long today. I went long and crazy last time raving on and on like a lunatic about being Italian. 
My brother said if he had a nickel for every time I said the word Italian, he could go to Italy, uh, which is a fair criticism. Uh, But I wanted to complain for a second about getting medicine in the mail. It's a horror show. So I take this medicine called Humira. It's a biologic, and it's very expensive. And I could never afford it. I wouldn't pay for it. Uh, I told my GI doctor that I wouldn't go on it because... It would bankrupt my family, and I'm not going to bankrupt my family for a drug. It's ridiculous. I'm just not going to do it. We'll find some other way or whatever, you know? Uh, But there's a company out there that my doctor's office talked to, and they agreed to pay for it. I had to fill out all this paperwork. I had to send it all in. I had to, you know, do whatever I had to do, and they're going to pay for it. And it's got to renew every year, which is a pain in the ass, but it's a lot of money, so fair enough, right? So... The first batch came in this huge box, you know, with dry ice and coolers. And it was this really intricate packing. And it came on the day they said it was going to come too, which was great. You know, it comes by FedEx and they give you the date and they say it's, it's going to be there between a certain set of hours. And it the first time, no problem. So I opened the box and uh, I have a really a nurse, a traveling nurse is pretty close to me. She came over to check everything out. And there's this little indicator card that comes in the box. And if it's red, you can't use it. If it's white, you can. Because if the medicine ever dips below a certain temperature, the card turns colors. And then, you know, the medicine's bad. You can't put it in you. So the first one came and we we did the first shot and the pen, it's like a, a pen, uh, that you stab into yourself, it was broken, and the medicine spilled all out on the floor. And I called them over and over and over to try to replace that, and it, they never did. So at some point, maybe by the end of the year, I'm going to be short one. I don't know how it's going to work, but they never replaced it. And then they finally called me when my supply was running low, and they said, okay, we need to send your next batch. And I said, yes, you do. And they said, okay, we're going to send it July 15th. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm due for my next shot on July 14th, and I don't have any medicine, but the 14th, the 15th will be fine. 14th, 15th, same difference, you know? I mean, I usually take it real late at night anyway, so it'd be like eight hours difference. No problem. So the 15th comes, the 15th goes, no medicine. 16th comes, 16th goes, no medicine. 17th comes, Colson's going nuts, barking, medicine. Okay. As soon as I pick up the box, I know it's way too warm. It looks like Ace Ventura delivered it. You know, it's broken, most likely, sir. You know, it's obviously junk. I open it up, take the card out. It's bright red. I mean, it's it's redder than a fire truck, right? I mean, it's don't put this in you, red. So I call up the company. I say, you sent me this. You sent it late. It didn't come. It's red. Okay. Um, box it back up, put it on the porch, they'll pick it up. We'll resend it in about four days or something. And, um, you know, you'll get it in four days. So I'm already, you know, pretty late. Eh, well, it's the best we can do. All right. So at this point, I know I'm going to take it like a week late. What are you going to do? So, but sure enough, the fat X guy was at my door. The next morning at like nine o'clock to pick up the junky shit and send it back to them. So they were, I mean, getting it to me, long time. Getting it back to them, very fast. So 
it finally comes. They're going to say, now this time I have to sign for it for whatever reason. Um, they say it's going to come between 9 and 3. It comes at like 259, you know, um, and it's cold this time. You know, it looks much better. Open it up. The card's white. So I take the medicine that night. It's about nine days late or something at that point. What are you going to do? So look at the moral of the story is that this medicine is not made to be sent in the mail. I mean, this is just brutal. And this is important, allegedly, and expensive medicine. And they just, it's like, it's the worst. And, you know, it's a problem with everything. You can never get anyone on the phone. If you do, there's a language barrier. You know, the hours are weird. You have to talk to five people. You have to keep repeating yourself. As soon as you make that call, you know you're on the phone for an hour. You know, the customer service is horrible. You know, I get the medicine. It comes a day late. No big deal. Then it's bad. Then they're in a huge rush to pick up the bad medicine. But they have to wait four days to send the new medicine. When it finally comes and it's finally good, okay. It's just like... Man, you know, it's crazy because Crohn's disease can often be a battle between your mental health and your mental health as it goes down. Your physical health can go down with it. So you have to try to maintain good mental health through a very stressful condition. And I have just decided that I'm not going to let Humira bring my mental health down. You know, I will take the Humira pen. I will jab it into my leg every two weeks if it's in the refrigerator. If it's not in the refrigerator, I don't, you know, I don't know. What can I do? I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to stress over it. I'm not going to complain about it because at that point, the toll that the mental health will be taking on my body and then resulting in a decline in my physical health will outweigh the effect that this Humera has, which so far has been none. I've noticed no difference since I've been on it. It changed absolutely nothing so far. And I'm willing to be patient and give it time, but it's been close to half a year at this point, and it's done absolutely nothing. So uh, D plus so far to Humera, F minus to the company that. Well, that's not fair because they are paying for it. So I'll give them a. I'll give them a D plus as well. You know, just strictly for the fact that they're paying for the medicine. Everything else has been shit, um, and of course, an all-time F minus to Crohn's disease.